missionary to India as a teenager. He was appointed as an ALJC missionary to Asia at the age of 19, where he and his family served full-time for 10 years. He then pastored for several years and currently travels in the United States and abroad as an evangelist and Bible teacher, as well as serving as regional field supervisor for the ALJC Works in South Asia. Would you make welcome from Indiana, Brother Jeremy Lane. Come on, let's worship the Lord right now. Let's give him praise. He's worthy, isn't he? Thank you, Lord. Ladies and gentlemen, we are having camp meeting in the Texas district. I told several young men a bit earlier, I said, I'm prepared. I'm going to provide my text and my title, but I will likely not get to it. There are several in this room that uh, were witnesses to that. One of them come up to me a little earlier and said, I think that you prophesied it. Uh, so... But there is something I believe that God is wanting to speak to us tonight through his word. And I'm not going to keep you long like I did last night. But I do believe that God wants to say something to us. I want to echo uh, all of the greetings to the guests that are here. I'm so very thankful I just wanted to let Brother Sanford preach tonight. That man right there is a preacher. Come on, somebody. Amen. I looked back there and I thought, man, this tag team, let him come up here and do it. And then I saw my good friend, Brother Krause, so glad uh, to see him and so many people in this place. And then I see redheads. I see a Monday and a former Monday. Amen. The population of us redheads just went up tonight. Folks, we're here to stay. Come on, somebody. Amen. Join me in Psalm 52. We're going to read just two verses tonight. I give honor to your district board. What a fantastic group of leaders that are leading this wonderful district and I appreciate so very, very much their vision, their love for the truth, for growth, for revival. And folks, you all are in good hands with your leaders, and I'm so very, very thankful for them. Psalm 52, verse 8 and 9. If you're there, say amen. amen. If you're not there, say I'm going to cheat and look at the screen. We got some people that have no shame at all over there. <laughs> all right, let's go. I'm going to try to do a quick work, Lord willing. But I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the mercy of God forever and ever. I will praise thee forever because thou hast done it. What has he done? It. You name it, he's done it. He saved me. 
He's healed me. He's delivered me. He's set me free. Come on. He's strengthened me. He picked me up. He turned me around. So I will praise thee forever, for thou hast done it. And I will wait on thy name, for it is good before thy saints. For a few minutes, we say in Hebrew, Bezrat Hashem, that means with the help of God, I'm going to preach this title, An Olive Tree in the House of God. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. God, your word is so powerful. Lord, it is true. And Lord, your word is already anointed, but Lord, I need your anointing upon me tonight. And Lord, I pray that you would anoint our ears, God. Give us ears to hear what the Spirit would say to the church. We give you thanks and praise for all of these things. And everyone said in Jesus' name. Before you're seated, turn to your neighbor and tell him, I am an olive tree in the house of God. Amen. And you can be seated tonight. Certainly one of the most remarkable trees is the olive tree. Most of us are not too familiar with the tree. We're more familiar with the fruit of the tree because they don't always grow nearby where we live. However, in the land of the Bible, it was and is the most important of all the trees because it is a source of food, of light, of hygiene, as well as healing. Olive trees, their fruit, and the oil of their fruit have long played an important role in the daily lives of Israel. For nearly 6,000 years, olives have been eaten as a Mediterranean staple food and the olive oil has been used for cooking and in lamps for light, for medicine and as well for anointing both the prince as well as the pauper. By the time that the Roman conquest had come to Judea, the olive had become one of the most basic dietary items even for the poor. The amazing thing about the olive tree is that they grow in every condition. They grow on terraced hills or in valleys. They grow in rocky or fertile soil. They can thrive in great heat with minimum water. And they are virtually indestructible. Some grow from root systems still to this day and are well over 2,000 years old in the land of Israel. It's an amazing thing that even after the global deluge that took place during the time of Noah, that the dove brought an olive leaf which is proof to you and I that the greenness of the olive tree can survive the flood. And I want to declare to you today that I am determined more now than ever to be a green olive tree planted in the house of God. 
The great blessing of being an olive tree is that you can stand the test of time. It doesn't matter what soil, it doesn't matter what floods come, it doesn't matter if you come into a dry season or a wet season, if you are an olive tree planted with a root system in the house of God, you will be a survivor. There is nothing that can destroy a green olive tree that is firmly planted and rooted in the house of God. It's an amazing thing when we read in the scripture. The Bible declares to us that this olive was something that was so powerful that, that when it was pressed, it would produce oil that would do some amazing things. The oil, as I mentioned before, was used for cooking. It provided sustenance to the world. The things that we produce in our life, I'm here to tell you the world is hungry for it. I want to tell everyone in this place you have a ministry in the kingdom of God. Do not listen to the lie of the devil. You are important in the kingdom. You have the ability to produce food for this world. Something powerful for this world. You have something. Oh my God, I feel the Holy Ghost. You have something inside of you, dear brothers and sisters, that this world is longing for. No matter what the condition, hot, dry, cold, wet, rocky, sandy, the evergreen olive tree will live and produce fruit. So I want to declare to you today, if we are determined to be a green olive tree, we've got to throw our excuses out the window. When you're an olive tree planted in the house of God, you have no excuse to not produce in the kingdom. God has called us to be fruitful, and I'm here to tell you, you can. Every one of us in this place are susceptible to dry seasons. But keep in mind that these olive trees grow in Judea, which is in an arid climate which faces all kinds of droughts, you will from time to time have a dry spell in your walk with God, but that does not mean that you lose your ability to produce fruit. In fact, some of you are going to find out that the driest seasons in your life will produce the best fruit that you've ever produced in your life. There's nothing that can stop a saint of God who is determined to be a green tree planted in the house of God even when this olive tree is cut down or burned new shoots will begin to emerge there are situations that do cut us down sometimes but the olive tree has a secret I'm about to go nuts up here tonight. More of the olive tree is below the ground than above the ground. And it is because those roots are so deep 
that even if you cut down what's on top, you still haven't killed it. There may be situations that will try to cut us down all the way to the surface, but I've got roots in this thing today. The reason why so many people don't survive is because they're content to be a tumbleweed with shallow roots and every wind of doctrine and every wind of problem that comes alone blows them down the street. No, no, no. A thousand times no. I am a green olive tree planted in the house of God. My root systems are deep. You can't cut me down. You can't burn me down. You can't talk me out of this thing. I am what God has made me and that is a green olive tree. We must have deep roots, brothers and sisters. Roots equal strength. They equal stability. It's incredibly important that we make sure that our roots are deep into the apostles' doctrine. I have seen a lot of apostasy since I came into the church. It frustrates me to see someone who once believed in the oneness of God walk away. It frustrates me to see individuals who once believed, practiced, and preached the encapsulated plan of salvation in Acts 2.38 and then they walk away from it. For whatever reason, I tell you, it's not good enough to walk away from this one God message. And I want to encourage, if you have questions about the doctrine, you need to get with your pastor, you need to get with your youth pastor, you need to get with your district board, and you need to say, help me, brother. I have some questions about the doctrine. Don't get your doctrine from people on the hell of, I mean the television. Yeah, I said it. The Bible tells us if somebody comes carrying another doctrine and they try to come in your house, you don't even bid them Godspeed. Today we let false doctrine in just by turning on the TV. And we wonder why we're confused and we wonder why we're stumbling and we wonder why the spirit of apostasy comes into our family. We don't allow that kind of hawk in our household. Why? Because it is and forever will be. Then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. This is the message that is forever settled in heaven and it changes not. If you're going to be rooted and grounded in something, be rooted and grounded in the one faith, the faith that was once delivered unto the saints. What you and I have today, church family, did not come from Rome. I am a lover of nothing Roman. I've been asked the question many times by many of my Jewish friends 
are you Catholic or Protestant? And I said, neither. Because I don't hail Mary. Mary was there in the upper room, received the Holy Ghost, just like everybody else. So I don't hail Mary. I don't worship idols. He said, oh, well, you're a Protestant. Not that either. My people didn't protest anything. No. While all that mess was going on during the Reformation, our people in every century, since the day of Pentecost, have been preaching this message. So while they were arguing about it, while they were writing creeds, and while they were doing all of those things, our people were out baptizing folks in Jesus' name and praying them through to the Holy Ghost. That's what we do. So... We are not from Rome. We're not from Wittenberg, Germany. We're not from England. The Bible declares that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. Our roots are in that upper room in Jerusalem. You need to make sure that's where your root systems are reaching to. Be rooted and grounded in it. Got to be rooted and grounded in holiness. Brother Taylor, you blessed my soul today, brother. That man challenged the men of this district today and preached to us a message about holiness and separation that challenged me. I want to tell you today, we need to remain rooted in holiness. I know fads and fashions have changed, but holiness still remains. It is still the message. And without it, no one will see the Lord. You've got to be rooted and grounded in it, church family. The problem with not being rooted and grounded is uh, I see a lot of times in, oh, I'm going to say it. Oh, it's in my notes. Should I? All right, I've got four or five of y'all. Gave me your permission, so I'm going to go ahead. This is my problem with church hoppers. You see, when you're an olive tree, oh, well, I'm just not getting fed there. No, the problem isn't that you're not getting fed. The problem is your roots aren't deep enough. Check what species of tree you are. Is your testimony, I'm a green olive tree planted in the house of God? They always think the problem is the ground. That's never the problem for an olive tree. I've seen olive trees throughout the Middle East that grow in places that I, I thought a chigger couldn't live. And there the olive tree was bearing fruit. So if your problem is that you feel dry, your roots need to go deeper. Not popular, but it's true. I learned this lesson still as a new convert. My pastor spent a lot of time with me. I loved him very much. 
and still do to this day. The man who preached me to the altar. I wasn't raised in church, and as I mentioned last night, I had long hair. Some of you all weren't here, so let me recap. I played guitar in a rock band. We never got out of the garage, but we had a band, or at least we like to think that we did. If I could light it on fire, I would smoke it. I was on drugs very bad. When I was 19 years old, after having trained under my pastor, my world was shaken. Now, I want to be very transparent with you today because I want you to understand where I was in my walk with God. I came from a rural church, but a very big church for such a small area. We averaged every Sunday around 250, 260. This was in the 90s. I prayed with him every day. And I do mean every day. At 445, part of our training was we got up and we went and we prayed with our pastor at least one hour a day. I did that when I was in high school. Then went to school. Then after school, went and worked at the farm. And then after that, around 8 o'clock, taught four home Bible studies a week. Our pastor prodded us, go get them. You can do it. I say all of those things to say that my world was rocked when my pastor was caught in a scandal and backslid. It completely decapitated our assembly, which was out in the middle of the watermelon fields. Brother Gray, you've preached there many times. My world was rocked. I was a kid, 19 years old, and there was no preacher left in the church. They all left. And I was the one that remained. And so, naturally, the lot fell upon me to preach Every Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, taking calls in the middle of the night. I was far too young and inexperienced. And though as a young preacher, a teenager training, I was always excited when pastor would say, hey, next month on such and such service, you're up. Oh, I was excited. But now that excitement was gone. Now, I became an emergency room physician, 19 years old, and in three weeks, I preached everything that I knew. That's truth. I've had people ask me, Brother Lang, what is it that compelled you to study the way that you study? It was this season where I realized I'm not going to be able to halfway do this thing. If I'm going to survive, and if my assembly is going to survive, and I'm leading them, I better make sure that my roots are deep in this thing. And after three weeks, when I was trying to sermon prep, and I had absolutely nothing left to say, no more sermons in my repertoire, I've given all. I realized the only way I'm going to make it 
is if I am a green olive tree firmly planted in the house of God. It was then that I learned how to pray like I'd never prayed before. It was then that I learned how to worship like I'd never worshiped before. It was there that I learned how to study like I'd never studied before. It was there that I learned how to soul win like I'd never soul win before. I want to tell you today, in all situations, you can bear fruit, but it depends upon your root system. You are a green olive tree. I've come to Texas to tell you, you're already a green olive tree planted in the house of God if you're thirsty for something let your roots go deep tonight you are made to be a survivor I thought a lot about that time 19 years old a new convert fresh out of the world my wife bless her heart was a teenager at that time. She came to school on the, or came to church on uh, the bus. She was a bus kid. And tomorrow's our anniversary, so forgive me. I'm thinking a lot about my wife. Oh, yeah, 16 years and a million miles and five children later. Heaven help me. About 11 months ago, I had a surgery. I was diagnosed with a liver disease that we found out was hereditary. And it's not every day that you show up to the emergency room and they tell you you have something seriously wrong. And um, I went in there thinking, well, here goes my gallbladder. Here goes my appendix. I'm going to go. I'm driving myself there, and I'm going to lose something. And so went to the ER, and they said no. Reverend, you have something very serious going on. They said your liver is huge. Your spleen is huge. And some issues that in your blood work, uh, we think you have cancer. We don't know what's going on. And I was run through the gauntlet because of my long time living overseas. They thought I picked up some kind of uh, exotic virus that was destroying my liver. And so after running the gauntlet with all kinds of tests and everything, and it was, it was a, a terrible season that I went through, they finally found out that there was a hereditary component uh, to the deterioration of my liver, and I was diagnosed with cirrhosis to my liver. And it was then that I was told I needed to have weight loss surgery, which that was 100 pounds ago and 11 months. I went through all of that and thought I was going to die after the surgery. I had to go into the emergency room two times. I was incredibly sick. I could not preach. Uh, some of you in this room are uh, Biblical Hebrew Academy students, and uh, you remember uh, me having uh, to continually drink. I was dehydrated. I was a very, very sick, critically sick man, but I still taught my classes even though my doctor said don't. Nobody's perfect. It was about October, and I started to feel better. I started to feel better, and then I realized I've got all this pent-up energy inside of me. So I started accepting invitations to go and preach again. I traveled to Tennessee several times, and we were having revival, and God was doing great things. And then we were traveling. I was with my family, and in November, our vehicle got robbed, and we had some stuff that was stolen from us, and they destroyed my vehicle, and 
Then the next month, that was in November and December, I got robbed again. Can you imagine this? Anybody want to travel with Brother Lang tonight? Come on, somebody. Come on. Who's got faith in the house? December, I got robbed again. And this time they took my briefcase and the world was in my briefcase. I had all of my Hebrew Academy stuff. I had uh, notes. I had my electronics, my my laptop, my iPad was in there. My 9mm was in there. They stole that, those rascals. And just crazy things. Now, listen, I know I'm in Texas, and I've seen some of you boys' hips. And I bet if I peeked in some of you girls' purses, okay. All right. I've been an NRA member since I was 12 years old, okay. So, hey, come on, somebody. That's not a political speech. That's just a fact, okay. I have an arsenal. I'm not ashamed of it. And I've been known to throw down on a deer. Every once in a while as well. Come on, somebody. I'm in Texas now. Come on. All right. I, I, I knew we were going to have revival at that statement. <laughs> February, two months after that, I was preaching in North Carolina for Pastor Garnett. Driving back to Indiana with my family, traveling through West Virginia. We were involved in a terrible car accident. My wife was injured very badly, had damage to her eye, four or five broken bones in her face. It was a terrible, terrible, uh, traumatic experience for us. And it was then I was beginning to wonder, when is this going to stop? Six weeks later, my mother died. God, when is it going to stop? And then it dawned on me one day, I'm still here. I'm still a servant of God. There's still love in our home. We're still upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone. We're still planted after rolling with all of those punches of sickness, of loss, of death and all of these things, then I am I'm one of those people that uh, make folks nervous because I, I am naturally optimistic. There's always silver lining. If you can't find it, come, come and get me. I'll find it for you. It was then that I went back and I said, oh, I was sick, but in the last scan of my liver, clean come on somebody two days two days after they took my briefcase with my nine millimeter in there two days after that my wife delivered our fifth child little Zipporah Eden was born into this world. So there I was. I didn't even have an iPad to shout it out on Facebook immediately. But there we were, not knowing if I was ever going to recover my things. And it was at that moment 
When little Zipporah was born, as with all of our kids, the first thing I do when I hold my children is Shema Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. And we say, Hero Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord in Hebrew. And then I began to, as my wife was holding little Zipporah, she was two minutes old, I began to speak to her in Hebrew. We don't name our kids until we see them. That makes our family very nervous. They're like, oh, my goodness. And so I began to ask her. I said, oh, little baby girl, what is your name? What is your name? And my wife said, her name is Zipporah. And I said, oh, Zipporah. So we're going on in Hebrew. And then we looked up at the nurses that were in the room, and they were weeping. They said, we feel something in this, this hospital room. There's something that we feel in here. Listen. When you're a green olive tree planted in the house of God, it doesn't matter what you're looking at, no matter what you're facing, no matter what problems, no matter what losses. If you are a green olive tree, guess what? The anointing is always with you because the berries that produce the anointing actually grow from you. Come on, somebody. Don't be surprised at what people feel when they get around you. You're a green olive tree planted in the house of God. The anointing goes with you wherever you go. It goes to the workplace. It goes to the school. It goes to your unsafe family. They might resist you now, but they can't, they can't deny what they feel when they're around you. I got to go. Then I began to think about my mother. I only had one. When I got in church, I was the first one in my family. But my pastor preached to us, if you're not a soul winner, you're going to hell. And I believed him. He said, the tree that doesn't bear fruit is hewn down and cast where? Yeah, you might say he was taking some liberties there. But it put the fear of God in me. It compelled me to take a home Bible study and teach my mother and father the truth of this gospel. And they were baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost. My mother died in her faith. I went next door to my grandma and grandpa, taught them a Bible study. My grandma and grandpa, who are in the presence of the Lord right now, were also both baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost. So today, I don't know if I'm a third-generation apostolic or a first. I don't know if it's retroactive. I don't know if grandma and grandpa were third and I'm first, but then what does that make my kids? Are they fourth or are they second? I don't know. If you have the answer to that, please come to me. I need some help. But it was through all of those things that I realized this is what God is trying to do. He's trying to remind me many years ago in a traumatic experience in my life, my, my root system grew deeper. So being faced with all of the challenges that I faced over the past year, I'm here to tell you as well as to tell the devil, I'm still here. I'm still planted. 
2020 served up some horrific things to some of you in this place. You faced loss. You faced sickness. Some of you lost family. Some of you lost jobs. But look at where you're at tonight. You're at Texas camp meeting. How can you survive something like that? It's because you're a green olive tree planted in the house of God. It's an interesting thing. I've been blessed to take many groups to the land of Israel, to the Holy Land. It's a pilgrimage. I love taking people to Israel. The reason is because when you go to Israel, a little part of your faith becomes sight. Because we love this book. When you begin to see the places where Jesus went, where Abraham went, when you begin to go and look at the places where Peter went, when you walk into that upper room, you're like, well, I'm home. Come on, somebody. Yes. One of the most somber places that we visit is the Garden of Gethsemane. Where there are olive trees that are there, that were there to witness the very betrayal of our Lord and our Messiah. Those trees growing from root systems well over 2,000 years old, we uh, think that they were planted around 100 years before the birth of the Messiah. So those trees were planted during a difficult time in Israel. They were bearing fruit by the time that the Messiah was born. Those trees were there. Those trees were there whenever Jesus was just essentially a very short, I'm in Texas, shotgun distance from the Garden of Gethsemane is the Temple Mount. So when Jesus was in the temple, amazing the elders with his questions as well as his answers, those trees were there. Those trees were there during the triumphant entry into Jerusalem. Those trees witnessed that. Those trees were there the night of his betrayal. In fact, according to biblical history, we know that it was the Garden of Gethsemane was a meeting place, kind of a shady place in Judea where Jesus went and spent time with the apostles. Those trees were there. The amazing things that they witnessed during that time. Those trees were there when on the backside of the ridge of the Temple Mount Hill where he was crucified, those trees were there. They were there while he was being scourged. They were there when he was being crucified and those trees were there when he gave up the ghost. Those trees were there for three days and three nights while he was in the tomb. And those trees were there when he got up out of that grave. Come on somebody, I'm going to sing at camp meeting. 
those trees were there. In fact, the road that goes right next to the Garden of Gethsemane might have been the one because the Garden of Gethsemane is at the foot of the Mount of Olives. So Jesus likely walked right by those trees again as he went to the top of the Mount of Olives. Those trees witnessed him walking right by to the top of the mountain. And those trees were there to witness his ascension into the heavens. Those trees were there whenever the Holy Ghost was poured out in the upper room on the day of Pentecost. Those trees were there in 70 A.D. when Rome destroyed the temple. Those trees were there. Those trees were there during the rise of Islam in the 7th and 8th century when the Arabs came into the land and built mosques upon the temple mount and built the Dome of the Rock, those trees remained there. Those trees saw wars and heard rumors of wars. The crusades that took place when the Christians said, we're going to go get the Holy Land back from the Arabs. And so England and Europe decided they're going to march in and there was all kinds of wars that went on during the crusades. Those trees were there. Eventually the Holy Land fell into the hands of the Ottoman Turks. The Ottoman Turks came in like a wrecking ball and absolutely destroyed the Holy Land. They cut down most of the trees in the country and used them for fuel. But for whatever reason, and we don't exactly know why, they never cut down those trees in the Garden of Gethsemane. When trees all around the Holy Land were falling, those trees in the Garden of Gethsemane survived. Those trees were there whenever last century there were millions of Jews that were dying in the Holocaust. Those trees were there when Jews were being tortured in the pogroms of Europe. Brother Nichols and I have family that went through the pogroms. His family went through the Holocaust. It's an amazing thing, church family. That while all of these things were going on in the world, those trees survived. And why is it that they survived? What made those trees different than trees everywhere else in all of Israel? Was that the ground on which they were planted was watered with the tears and sweat that preceded the passion of our Messiah. The Bible says... That he cried out and that he sweat like it was great drops of blood. So I want to tell you in the stressful moments in your life when you're crying, when you're sweating, when you're praying and you're saying I would that this cup would pass from me, be of good cheer. Your tears are watering ground that is going to fertilize the place that, oh my God. It's going to fertilize the place that you're planted that is going to ensure that every battle, every season, you are going to survive. I've got a picture I want to show you very quickly, and I'm about done. Turn to your neighbor and say, thank God. I've got a picture back there. Ah, this is from... Israel, this is the wall and one of the gates of Jerusalem, which whenever 
I take you to Israel someday. We're going to stand together at the Garden of Gethsemane. And I have a place, there's a tree that I sit on as I give my spiel. And behind me, just over my shoulder, from the Garden of Gethsemane, you get this view of the gate. But this is not just any gate. This is the eastern gate. Very near to the Garden of Gethsemane. You can see it from there. And those trees witnessed one of the sultans of the Arabs, of the Muslims, that said the Jews and Christians believe that there's a Messiah that's coming. The Jews believe he's coming yet the first time. The Christians believe he's coming back again the second time. But both Jews and Christians believe that when their Messiah comes, he's going to enter in through this gate to the Temple Mount. So this crazy Muslim, he was crazy. Because he didn't know the Bible. He said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to cover up the entrance and stop their Messiah. And because he, did, he knew the Quran, he didn't know the Bible. In his mind, the Messiah was going to be from the Levitical priesthood. He didn't know that he's the lion of the tribe of Judah. He got the tribe wrong. Listen, if you're going to come at us, you got to know what we believe. Come on, somebody. You know? So he knew that the high priest is prohibited from entering into a cemetery. So he put a cemetery, a graveyard, in front of the eastern gate. And all the while, those trees were there like, this isn't going to be good. Somebody's going to get a rude awakening one day. Why? Because my Messiah has never been impeded by stones covering a doorway. There's never been a grave. A grave can't stop my Jesus. There's no stone that can stop. My God, I'm about to shout. Come on, somebody. If you want to be there on that day, you've got to be determined. I am a green olive tree planted in the house of God. Get up, get up, get up. Get up out of that grave. Come on, somebody. Aren't you thankful? The reason why you and I were able to get up out of our grave is because he got up out of his grave. There's never been a stone that he couldn't roll away. There's never been a grave that he could not conquer. Oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where is thy victory? I'm talking about my Jesus. Come on, let's give him praise in the house right now. So I want to ask us, and forgive me for lying to you. I wanted to be done 30 minutes ago. Oops. 
God has already done some great things in this place. But I still feel to ask, is there any sick among you? I feel that in my heart. Is there any sick among you? God provides healing of our heart, of our mind, of our body, and of our backslidings. The Bible is clear about that. The olive tree has the ability to produce berries that produce healing. And I believe the healers in the house. Now, what I need tonight is not great faith that you have to feel like you have to pray a prayer in King James Version English. Sounds good, but it's not required. I'm looking for childlike faith tonight. Six, seven weeks ago, my wife was terribly ill. My wife's a nurse practitioner. She deals with sick patients all the time. And so because of that, sometimes she'll pick up what they bring into her. She was terribly sick, had a very high fever, felt awful. And I told her, I said, that fever hasn't broke. You're not to go to work tomorrow. I told her, I said, you call in. Bless God, they're going to have to survive without you one day. So my five-year-old son, Elias, who thinks he's already in children's ministry. My wife told me back in Indiana, he's trying to do everything, trying to run the show. Future Kids Quest minister there he walked in and he said dad I'm going to pray for mom I said have at it son we've tried to teach our kids not just the now I lay me down to sleep prayers but I've tried to tell them you can pray the prayer of faith and it can still save the sick so he comes over to mom he prays God heal my mommy in Jesus' name. And I said, that's awesome. And we went to bed. And, and whenever I laid him down to bed, we together we pray the Shema. Together we pray Deuteronomy 6 and 4 every, every day, twice together. And as we were praying, he said, I know we prayed the Shema, but one more time I want to pray for mommy. I said, do it. So there we were praying the prayer of faith again for mommy. She got up the next morning. She said, I feel good. I feel great. He wasn't awake yet. He wasn't awake yet. He come busting in the room early the next morning with a Superman cape on. And he said, is mom healed? I said, yep. He said, that worked. It works. I wonder, is there anybody in the house that is a believer? That he is a healer. That he's able to do it. If there's any sick among you, I'm not even going to ask you to come up here. If there's any sick among you right now, you need a healing. I don't care if it's for your mind, for a backsliding, for whatever is going on in your body. I want you to raise your hand. Okay. So those of you that need a healing, if you see somebody next to you with their hand up, I want you to turn around and pray the prayer of faith over them. You have inside of you olives. You have the oil inside of you. You have healing inside of you. 
pray the prayer of faith. Pour that oil in right now in your prayers. Go ahead, let it be done. Let it be done unto you according to faith in the name of Jesus. That's it. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Pray that prayer of faith. Let it be done. Let it be done in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. That's it, young people. Go ahead. You've got it. You've already got it. It's already inside of you. God's put it there. You've got it. Go ahead. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Go ahead. Go ahead. Pray the prayer of faith right now. It's going to save the sick tonight. In the name of Jesus. You've got the anointing inside of you. Go ahead. Go ahead and pray. Go ahead. Claim it in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. That's it, brothers and sisters. Go ahead. You know how to do it. You know how to do it. You're a green olive tree. That's it.
That's it. Go ahead. Go ahead. Reach out right now.